So, what is it that you love about being black? That's a great question, Nanakina. I love being black because I'm different from everybody else. And the second reason, because black people can do anything they set their minds to. What I like about being black is just freaking amazing. We we are amazing. Every day is a good day for breathing. My black. favorite part about being black is uh, the originality. Love being black because I can put my hair into different shapes and sizes, and nobody can ever tell me how my hair can be. I do like the food. When people say black girl magic, that's for real. That ain't just because because we just want to say that. It's real. We magic. We we are so unique in everything that we know. Go ahead, say please say. Please say black. Please say Please black. Please say black. Please say black. Because I always was black. <laughs>
I'm currently based in Jacksonville, Florida, aka Duval, the 904. You may have heard about it. I don't know. Um, and uh, I'm a, also a New Yorker. I just uh, spent like 10 years of my life living there and I just moved back to my hometown, but it is very much home for me. So shout out to New York, Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy specifically. Now um, I got to ask you, what part of Brooklyn was it like? Bed-Stuy. I just said Bed-Stuy. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. I was yeah. like, what part? Is, is it the part that all the black and brown people have been moved out of? No, I mean, Bed-Stuy is one of those places that's been very much gentrified, though. I mean, I won't lie about that, but it's still, it's very Black-owned, though. One thing about Bed-Stuy is a lot of the homeowners have been there for a long time. They've owned their homes for a long time. So except for people who are like, you know, selling. Um, yeah, there's still like quite a bit of Black people in. To me, it was like the Blackest place that I lived in when I was in New York. Yeah. Well, thank you for that introduction. All right. So let's start here. Yeah. <laughs> Part of what, how we got to this conversation is because last year I was like, can you teach me how to twerk? <laughs> and I was like, teach me too, girl. I can sometimes. So- so the conversation today, I mean, obviously we're using twerking as a as an artifact, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we are in the year 2022, all right? And people are doing the most. Mm. Uh, you know, I have like, it's so funny because I, I do a lot of stuff for the culture, all right? So like I will watch something, I will listen to something for the culture and, you know, I was like, oh, the culture's like, watch the Super Bowl halftime show. Okay, I wasn't planning on watching this shit, but it's the, it, you know, the culture's like, let's talk about the Meghan Markle Oprah Winfrey interview. And I was like, I didn't even know this was a thing, but okay, the culture. And so one of the things that I think is interesting is the ways in which within the culture of Blackness and Black identity, we see these really... I don't maybe counterculture moves to say this is part of our culture too, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're talk. So when I think about twerking, the action of twerking, but also the twerk culture that grows out of like places like New Orleans, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? It seems like it's another story being told, right? But more than that, it seems like a response to respectability politics because in 2022, we still have black people who still feel like if we could just be respectable enough, police will stop shooting us. So, I mean, like, where do you think, do you, like, I mean, do you feel like in 2022, we still believe in respectability politics? So, like, here comes the thing, right, about the Black community and about, like, what is the Black community? The Black community is all Black people. Okay, like, so we gonna deny Black people the dynamicness of humanity, like, by saying, like, what does the Black community think? Like, personally, a lot of people who get to speak for the Black community, the things they say sound real similar to the white community, TM, who don't get called the white community. Um, And so, like, I don't personally think that there's, like, some kind of, like, majority outlook on respectability and like respectability politics I think we can look at generational divides I think you can look at class divides I think we can look at socioeconomic divides but like 
black people as a whole are just like dynamic humans and I don't think like a majority of us believe in anything I do think that when we talk about like the generational divide of respectability politics and I think about like my parents who are like very late boomers some people will call them early gen xers but they were born in the very early 60s my parents turned 60 this year and so my parents are both what I would consider respectable what respectability means to them though is very different um and I also would say that like my parents come from more privileged background and the fact that like their parents went to college they went to college like in my family it wasn't an option about whether we go into college or not you know to, that's respectability to me like I wish that my parents would have let me take like a year off to decide I wish my parents would have let me go to community college right? Because there's nothing wrong with going to community college, especially if it's free, you know? <clears throat> and so I think like, there's some people who do very much still believe in respectability politics. But I think the reason why people believe in respectability politics now has changed. Um, because when you see people like Dr. Martin Luther King, or Malcolm X, who I know is your fave, like these people were violently murdered, gunned down, and they were wearing suits. They spoke very well. They were extremely articulate, as the whites like to say, and they still got killed. So it's hard for me to know like why they believe that, except unless you're talking about adjacency to whiteness. And I think now when we hear people talk about respectability and what people should do and how they should show respect for themselves is usually in comparison to whiteness and it's about how you can look more you can assimilate more to look like what white people want you to look like right because you can never look like them but you can look like they want you to look like and that is almost as good so it I think like there's yeah, a portion. Yeah. And that's for them. It's close enough. And like, I think that's what you'll find in certain generations and certain class brackets. Like, but it feels like, and I say this as someone who officially started divesting from whiteness in 2016, that's, mm -hmm. that's part of my story mm -hmm. is, and I want to be specific. I, I, I do think it doesn't matter what industry you're in as a black person who's trying to have what we would call professional success, mm -hmm. a part of how we understand professional sex success is, um, is, you know, developing the norms of whiteness, the values of whiteness. So in that, for me, that comes baked in with the respectability politic and how, like, and so even considering 2016 from now it still feels like there's a feeling that if I want to secure the bag professionally mm -hmm. the expectation is that I have to be a respectable negro like I still feel like that is still something that is like socially you know what I'm saying socially still understood yeah and I think the reason why is because the people who are like hiring at jobs are white right like <laughs> And the Black people that they're putting in place to hire people at jobs are doing what those white people tell them to do, hiring who those white people 
tell them to hire. I have been working exec- executive recruiting software company and like they are looking for black people or non-white people who look white on paper. That part. Right. And, and so like so many things can disqualify you from that. There's so many ranges of experiences that will immediately knock you out of the running for that. So like equating like professional it's because of who is doing the hiring like that's not because of you know because black people made it that way that's still just another symbol of like how white supremacy still has like such a chokehold on every single piece of this country and I also think fam there's a component of this where being the first or the only which is what was my professional experience so when I got into a department when I was in higher education most oftentimes or not, if I wasn't the first full-time Black faculty member, I was the first woman of color, right? So I was still somebody who didn't look like a lot of the people in the room. And there's some jacked up feelings of gratitude and you chose me. And I mean, it's gross to think about it, right? But like, it's like, I was like the special one, the one who, you know, I was articulate enough. And when I think about it, it's mad gross. And it creates this really weird, like subgenre of like, I was the one that was chosen. So I have to work that much harder to honor the space and to promote the culture that they've got going on. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, so keeping you the only person keeping you, the voice of community also reinforces be like us and not like them but there's this thing that I wanted to bring up and I didn't plan on sharing this but I don't think the person that I'm talking to will ever listen to this podcast so it should be okay yes Uh, so now I'm being being busy you know but one time the one time I had a black colleague in higher ed it was interesting because I don't think I ever made the choice to be the troublemaker, to be the John Lewis mm-hmm. in the group, but that's what happened. Because that's who I am. Like you say, sweet you stand, the power. Oh, because you stand up for against shit. Yeah, that's wrong. Oh, exactly. Okay. And so <laughs> what I started to notice is when some white shenanigans was happening, this other black person was silent. You know what I'm saying? And not even like. Because you know how sometimes one of us will say something and the other person would amen it. Wouldn't even amen. So I was like, okay. And so I was like, this is weird, but I don't police Black people in the anti-Black world. And then our, our boss created this uh, book club with Robin DeFangelo's White Fragility book. That ain't gonna do some shit. Like, first of all, you already, <laughs> you already messed up. <laughs> I'm sorry, that made me just gag a little bit, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry, you, I just got you, a little you, sick. You, you should have gagged. You should gag. So, first of all, I already know this committee's on some bullshit because you picked that book. So I, I was like, I'm, and this, and my, the, my boss at the time was like, this is what we're gonna do to make it more equitable. We're gonna read this book, blah blah blah. So I was like, y'all already on some bullshit. I ain't a part of it. Right. So the same person who, for the most part, we worked together for a significant amount of time. We never just had like one-on-one conversations. We ain't chop it up in the hallway. We ain't never have no barbecue together. None of that right? I guess they decided to go to this book club that I didn't go to. And they see me in the hall and they're like, hey, Kina, 
I noticed you're not at the book club, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I ain't going to it. And they start asking more questions. And then I was like, wait a second, hold on. I'm supposed to be there so that I can say all the shit that they ain't gonna say to the white people. Even then, you got to be careful. You got to come with the invoice ready, though, right when you leave to hand it to them, because I decided so even I against was, that. I was the proxy Black person for the Black person. The Black person who was like, I'm going to do the respectability politic, but I'll let you be the uppity Negro for all of us. Wasn't it until then I was like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> all skin folk, they not kin folk. I got a couple. I got, I got a major coon at my job. And white people, you're not allowed to say that. Major no. coon at my job who literally said like, well, I've never had any problems with the police. And I was like, you know, sometimes police are nice. And then also someone, one time the cops beat up my partner in front of me. So, you know, you never really know who you're going to get. Both things yeah. are true. It's not either or, you know? Yeah. And that's why I always talk about this idea of like, Black community is white supremacist. Black people are being grouped together as a culture, as a singular culture. They're not even letting us have like multiple cultures. They hate when we occupy many identities, by the way, because whiteness makes you throw away everything else to become white. And so also when you're Black, they also don't understand how you can be Black and also occupy so many other identities. So people like expecting solidarity from black people, first of all, is that even okay to expect solidarity from somebody who you don't know just based off how they look? Like, let's just like zoom out. Is that okay? Can you stop there? Yes, can we stop there? Wow, wow. Could you ask that question again? Cause now my, like, I'm just like, Y'all can't see my face in this moment, but my face in this moment is like, huh? It's like, would you expect solidarity from a person you don't know just because y'all share a similar, y'all share one kind of experience, like y'all have that, y'all look alike. And y'all, unless y'all only got the same skin color, y'all don't even look alike. Y'all have the same skin color. Is that an expectation that you would have? No. That is a wild thing to think. So why then do we go and operate in this space where we expect solidarity from people who don't know us from nobody, who don't, we don't know if they share our experience. There is no singular Black experience. There's no singular human experiences. There are so many. There's literally like billions of people on this planet. There's no singular human experience. So the fact that we would expect solidarity and community with people who look like us just because we trauma bonding with them. I was just about to actually say that, right? I mean, gosh, it's like you said that was a full statement. And I need, I just like, that's a full reflection process statement. And what you made me, when you said that, it made me think about like folks across the diaspora, right? And so- when we start thinking about like what do we have in common right so it's you have lot, black though. people right so you have black people who are side-eyeing people you know what i'm saying immigrants come here side-eyeing us we side-eyeing them like and figuring out what this nucleus is 
And I think some of the nucleus is, is just our violent experience living in an anti-Black world. And so that is the trauma, right? It is. And the that's what I think of, that, yeah. And that's what I think we try to form that like skin folks solidarity on. Like we literally, that's what we're looking for, right? When we see another Black person in a space and we trying to bond with them in that moment. And I do think that that is like a superpower that Black people have, right? Like, that when it's only a few of us, like the right ones of us, the ones that are each other's people, we will end up together. The I think one that is the you cra- could be like, the, the one you could be like, girl. Or when something's happening, y'all don't know each other, but you're looking around for someone to share a look with and you see that other Black person who you don't know, but they're looking just like you. That's really incredible that we're able to do that. However, it's also sad well and i mean, have to do that well listen i and i i have to add this in the show notes oh gosh and i'm all i know resma resma and the book is called my grandmother's hands uh, right? Yes, that yes, talks, yes, right yes. that look i can't even pick that like like i'll pick that book up get through one paragraph and i'll be like okay i'll try again because it's that deep mm-hmm. and it's that rich and is that provocative but the last part, the last time I picked that book up, fam, like it was talking about collective coping mechanisms, right? Because I've always known about individual, you know, trauma responses, collective uh, responses to trauma. I've always known about the individual ones. Right. I didn't know that there was collective ones. And when I read that section of the book, I said, that's Black people running when one Black person runs. There's no way you could explain that other than it's a collective trauma response. Absolutely. One of us run, we don't ask questions, we don't investigate, it's enough. And then on top of that, not only will we start running, we will run in the same direction, right? Like we will all like reenact questions. I just saw Nandi run. I'm running that direction. And then finally, when we get to, you know, like a place of what happened? Right. Bobby was exactly. running. Yeah, but we ran anyway, just in case. Ran yeah, just but in also case. in that same vein, like when we talk about like workplace solidarity and how Black people bond in those kind of situations, usually when we look to each other, we're looking to each other in these moments where we're like, violence is being committed. Somebody must feel the way I feel. And we're looking for somebody who feels the way we feel, but it's not on a positive vibe, right? Like, there's so much richness in Blackness. There are so many incredible beautiful special things about being born black bitch let's start with the lips okay the lips imagine being born without them like white (laughs) people are okay there's a lot of great things our hair wait i want you to go back to the lips so should i be up wait so should i stop being upset when people swing in the dms and they say things like hey girl you look like my dip sh- dick should be between your lips because oh, like you should definitely all- still be mad at that that's disgusting <laughs> okay good i just wanted to make sure i can yeah no but if they maybe they- give you a compliment on it, i don't think men are good at being respectful about giving bodily compliments. you know because like 
how what's the takeaway i mean should i be glad that you want to put your penis in my lips or what i I mean i guess who knows what his penis is even like he's telling you about (laughs) an unknown he's you he's seeing your lips you haven't seen that man's penis (laughs) like Thank you. Who knows? You know, yeah, I know, but you do have great lips, though. That's that's. Thank true. you, friend. Thank you very much. Anyway, very okay, lips. yeah, but like, yeah, so like, black. There's so many rich things about being black, like, but there's also like, you know, black people. If it's one thing we're gonna do, we gonna joke because we also joke about our trauma, right? Like, we all joke across the diaspora. We all joke about our abusive ass parents, right? Like. We always laugh about a parent throwing a shoe or throwing whatever the closest thing they could find. We all laugh about switches. You know, we be laughing because I having to gather them. Yeah, we be right. Exactly. Look, my mom says this about my nieces and nephews. Like she'll just say, These kids say anything. They, they have so many opinions. I'm like, yeah, because they didn't grow up scared of like electric electricity cords. I said they right. act like children who've not been abused Be. in the household. Imagine. Like, you know, uh, I was so scared of my mom. A- I never talked back to her until I was like 17. That was the last thing I ever did. So I, I got kicked out in, soon after. I was in my 20s. And I'm not even saying at the top of my 20s. I mean, probably midway before I could walk through a door and not like cringe because that's how my mom would get me. Listen. She would be like, come in here come in here and be at the door with the tack and i'm like can i just so doorways for a long time were very like trigger look look at that look at that look at that parents they be fucking us up but also that white supremacy okay plantation plant parent what is it plantation plantation yeah and also um what's our what's our doctor who talks about post-traumatic slave syndrome dr Uh, joy Joy. dr joy Joy, who also talks about that um and like that's a big like all those things right we never bond on like how dope being black is it's time for the blackest thing This is one of my favorite parts of the show, which is what is the blackest thing you've done lately? Oh my God. <laughs> I be doing a lot of shit that's black and I'm Southern too. So sometimes I can't. No, it's a whole doing, different level. It's a very different level. Like, I mean, I haven't picked greens lately, but that's like one of the things I find myself doing. And I'd be like, wow, I'm black as fuck. But I think probably the most, the blackest thing I did recently, hmm, I'm well, like, you know, I recently retwisted my locks. That's pretty black. I mean, but white people be trying to have locks. Um, I was just I, thinking about something we were talking about when we were kicking before this recording. Um, I mean, I called out some white people today at well, work. And I, well, and yeah, because like, I think for me, like the, I would say like, Telling people what you're not gonna do is oh, a black yeah. thing, you know. Be like, well, oh yeah, that's true. Do, you know, <laughs> yeah. White people, I guess, don't ha- really have a concept of like what we call real talk, you know. Um, and 
yeah, today I told some white people, yo, that's appropriation at work. I was the only person who responded. I was the only person who responded, but I was like, listen, y'all need to get it together. I had to, somebody had to say it. You know, it's well, for my I, own safety. I'm not about to be working somewhere who about to have a bunch of white people doing the Wakanda post talking about it's for International Women's Day. Like, I'm not doing so, that. So, again, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think people, and, you know, this can, like, lead into the conversation, mm-hmm. but for all of the ways that people talk about Black aggression or Black anger, so much of what we've had to draw a line on is not just because we just want to be out here catching folks, but, like, you messing my shit up you endangering me you know what i'm saying like you putting me in the crossfires right and so i think we've learned a lot of ways to be like this ain't gonna work you know sometimes like you know i was just telling you before i'm making a decision to choose violence on the internet right now but Mm -hmm. sometimes it's that email that's like per my last email we always find ways to like create boundaries mm-hmm. in a world that is so anti-black all the time right yeah absolutely i mean you have to i always tell people and i i also just think about like what it takes to get i wonder if there's anyone who's like born great at boundaries right i'm sure there are like i've met plenty of kids who like don't do nothing they don't want to do and i respect that right but like i think as we get older we learned that there's a lot of things you're going to have to do that you don't want to do, like work, for example. That's one for me. I don't want to have to work. I want the option. Because well, work is a scam, but that's another Well, part. yes, exactly. <laughs> because I'm paying to be alive. That that doesn't we make sense. paying for shit that's free? <laughs> yeah, but when you start having, like, boundaries, when you start saying, okay, this is, like, something I can't accept, when you start saying, I also just say like, it's also a way to just like let other people know that they messed up, right? A lot of people are like, oh, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings, but it's okay for your feelings to be hurt. I don't know. It's just, it's not really making a lot of sense. Also, what if they do it again and you didn't address it? Like, I like to try to address things like immediately and also in that you know my company's lucky I could have said nothing I should charge them. I should send them an invoice for that because you know they would have destroyed their brand if they posted that look you know I'm about that invoice life So we don't bond over like the the dynamics, the aerodynamics of what the ass can do. <laughs> listen, the ass, listen, asses from Africa. Let me tell you something. One of my really good friends that I met while I was in the Hillsong cult, she's from Botswana. She's a doctor. Una is like size small like me on the top. Like we used to share shirts. Me and Una, we could share shirts. Una's pants were like a 24. Because that <laughs> ass, I was like, Una, sis, what? Where did and I you said, Lord, what I see what you've done for others, Lord. And I wonder why not me? Why enlarge not me? my territory. Enlarge my territory, Lord. <laughs> You know, like we can't, right. And so then we talk about, right, like twerking. And I was just thinking about like twerk culture, like as a whole. And I think like 
twerking hitting mainstream culture is just like a uh, saying that like twerk culture which is twerk mainstream culture is like white supremacy has like found a way to benefit from this and so now it's allowed to be in in mainstream culture because guess what we got bitch we got bbls anybody can have the booty of their dreams if they the, just get a very dangerous bbl the, the, the booty of the the clan which is what i call the kardashians screaming not the clan i mean it started with a k it's a lot of k's kim chloe Courtney, Kylie, what's the other one? Kendall, Woo. Chris, <laughs> Rob, he not part of the clan. And that's why we He's don't ever see him. They not letting yeah. him in. They said Rob. <laughs> they not letting him be clean. They hate Rob. They be like, yeah. Rob, you're fat. You need to lose weight. Yeah. I be like, poor Rob. I wouldn't be around my family neither, Rob. You need to stay away from them people. <laughs> you know, they're, they're looking at Rob like, you are not the ideal white guy. You're, the, you're not the kind of white guy that we would support, right? He's like, um, I'm Armenian. Rob is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm Armenian. I'm not white. But you know, I think about the history. And so when we're talking about Turkey, we're not just talking about this contemporary thing either. We're talking about like this long standing African tradition of dance, right? With poppin the emphasis on the what butt. We used to call it. We used yeah. to call it popping when I was growing yeah. up. And it was something yeah. that you did as a kid as well. You know, yeah. now it's become this over sexualized kind of thing that now men are like, I don't want my daughters twerking. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I was doing the Tootsie Roll and the Butterfly at like six and seven, and my parents and were I'm making like me dance in front of everybody well nobody look, was, was thinking it was sexual right and i was about to say and i'm a little older than you but we had little sally walker standing in a car like a yes, lot i of remember those, little sally rise walker. sally rise lift yes. up your eyes put your hands on your hips and let your backbone slip. yes shake it to the east shake it, it to, to the, the west. west shake it to the one you love the best I'm wondering if that's still a thing. We had my hair hurt, my bra too tight, my booty clean from the left to the right, go left, (laughs) right, left, right, left. Like, and it was, it's okay. Like, there's nothing like, there was like, and my mom wasn't like, you don't need to be doing all that. You know, like. It was a part of collective play and identity. And it was a way to know we were different, right? But in a good way, like, the white girls ain't no spies, Sally Wise. They didn't know how to put your hand on your hip. So it felt like group membership, even if that's mm. not what it was called. It was pledging right? Black Phi Black. That's what I call it. Because you're <laughs> always online when you're Black, even as a child. And those little cheers, those are part of pledging. That's the beginning. That's the beginning stages. That's how they indoctrinate you right there. They start getting you learning them cheers when you in elementary school. Black. Who's ready for some Black history? This is your Black History Moment. You, I mean, at the time of recording, we're at the end of Black History Month. But what we know to be true is that Black history is made every day every day you are black history and so how are you i mean i feel like i could easily try to answer this question for you but how are you fam black history um i think that i'm black history because like i exist radically and unapologetically as my very black self like i take 
naps. I do the bare minimum at work and get paid like a decent salary. I had to work my ass off to get there and get luck and get a lot of help from other Black people. Shout out to every Black person who has helped me. Um, but yeah, like I'm out here being me. I say what I want to say. I say I challenge the things that I want to challenge. Like I feel like I don't leave a lot of things unsaid that I feel need to be said. And I think that like I stand on like the shoulders of like, and I come after like so many people who did that exact thing in much more dangerous situations. And so like, it's just me. I'm in another long line of like those elders and ancestors who spoke truth to power and sometimes speaking truth to power is like, sometimes it's your coworker. Sometimes it's posting it on your social media. Sometimes it's quitting a job, but like I be doing it. And I think that makes me black history. I think that was a perfect answer. Being fearlessly you in all the places you show up, right? important then if we're talking about the reality that respectability politics still exist and if we're talking about like this historical response that lives in things like culture mm-hmm. like why does that matter like how does that influence us how does it impact us well aside from the white appropriation we're also seeing people like Megan the Stallion people like Cardi B people like even China people who are like former sex workers coming out of clubs going on to reality television going into the entertainment industry having huge followings, having a lot of people who say, I relate to that person. And these are careers that have been deemed like morally reprehensible to our quote unquote Christian culture. But like in capitalism, unless you own the capital, which the capital is labor, and unless you own other people's labor, you only have your own labor to sell. If you work any job, you're selling your body. Does it look different? Yes. Is it different? Absolutely. Fundamentally, no. It's not different. And so it's really kind of like a fuck you in the face of respectability politics to every person who told their daughter who wanted to be a stripper that, oh no, you're never gonna make something of yourself if you're a stripper. You'll never make any money. You'll never be successful. Every person that said you need to cover up and be modest to be successful, like it's a slap in the face to all these people who said assimilate to be the most modest, pure Christian person because the Christian is silent, but it's there. Or you won't be successful. And so when we see people like Megan the Stallion, Megan the Stallion got her degree. These niggas is hating. Look, her music ain't that good. I saw that grab picture and I felt like a a proud black auntie. I was like, yes, yes. Because guess what? Megan is shaking her ass on TV. She's rapping. She wearing skimpy outfits. And guess what? She getting a degree and she stacking her chips 
at the same goddamn time. And she a man it. literally shot her. Well, look, we also wanted that, and she's she's also making us all be thoughtful about our knees in a way we never were before. No, because I said my knees don't work like that, Megan. I believe I didn't know you, knees were supposed sis. to work like that until Megan came. I I never I think I always just thought of them as joints, and then Megan came, and I was like, oh, they could do so much more. Mm. I realized too late, you know, I was like, maybe when I was Megan's age, my knees were capable of that. You know, I got to do it in short spurts. She got young knees, you know, her knees, she ain't never worked on her feet for 14 hours. I mean, I'm sure she has actually. Oh, you no. say she got young knees, but okay. But aside from that and the violence she experienced, and I would say levels of it, because it was yeah. the, the direct violence of the actual like interaction with the mm-hmm. shooting. But then Negroes got on the internet. Right. Emotional and added violence, more violence. Verbal violence. 50 cent. If you don't sit your, you know what? Let me stop. He will not be acknowledged. 50 cent. He's a billionaire. We don't talk about billionaires. We don't talk about billionaires. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We don't so, talk was, about billionaires. We don't. We Wait. don't talk about billionaires. No, <laughs> no. There we go. That's how, that's how you fix it. Yeah, Thank but it, of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, yeah. So all these people rising up, the rise to OnlyFans. I mean, niggas was definitely hating on everybody jumping on OnlyFans saying it don't. And take capitalism was hating on that too. Yes, like you girls saying it was like shut it down yeah and then that shit didn't happen because guess what OnlyFans started as a sex cam the person who invented it was in the cam world for a very long time democratize he's democratizing sex work on film and you know like what's wrong with that these people are working hard it's not easy to make content it costs a lot of money also as we both know it costs a lot of money even just look, let me, doing this podcast let me say this. look let me say this i just this is my own little like come to jesus moment two years ago i probably made some statements about what it means to be creating content and now it's like damn shit ain't that easy huh it's not that easy thoughtfulness especially in relationship to the equity work i do right Absolutely. so anyway i'm sorry but i just yeah it's like yeah whoa. you have to keep your values in mind right yeah absolutely your values and like them dollars sometimes they be so, making you question like bitch look, how much do these values mean to me and so to your point i love that you said owning your own labor because i don't think people have ever thought about the systemic component of that shit yeah, I'm pretty sure I've read that. I'm like, there's this tweet that goes around once a year that just compares, that just tells people like if they think sex workers are selling their bodies and they're not, and coal miners are not, they're absolutely wrong. They compare coal miners and sex workers. But, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, do you get up and do something every day to get paid? Because Jeff Bezos, let me tell you, that nigga don't get up except for meetings. And he mostly, he can take them wherever he want. He want to take it on his private jet. You want to take on his way to Maui? We don't talk about Bezos either. But they love these, but they love to cite these these people who have all this money, right? And because they're under the impression that people who have money work hard. Let me tell you, the more money you make, I guarantee you, the less work you do, honey. That part. And And the people who make the most, the people who make the least amount of money, are some of the hardest people, hardest working folk out here. Absolutely. Out here, not out there, out here. Out here, amen. Yeah. It is. 
and we as black people i think we have so much internalized anti-blackness in us mm -hmm. that we move forward an agenda that's so anti-human and anti-us every day you know we were talking about this grind culture hustle culture black excellence these are scams from them that we've internalized I'm like, child, you don't need to be excellent. Let me tell you something. It don't matter if you are anyway, because you still have value regardless. But guess regardless. what? To me, you're excellent because you exist. Guess what? You alive. You excellent. Well, and also you're excellent if you have figured out how to maintain yourself in a system. This is my version of excellence. I'm mm -hmm. using this term loosely. You figured out how to maintain, maintain yourself in a system that consistently wants their back from you anyway so mm -hmm. the less you let yourself be extracted i'm like you, th there's the joy you get what i'm saying and when that was my most anti-black self i was the person who was like those people don't want to work those people want this and this and i'm like how do we all get on it i want black people to do the less amount of labor and get a paycheck honestly i, ain't mad at it. I feel I never, like i'm not mad at that but don't you feel like our ancestors worked enough so that none of us ever there have to work again? Argo, Argo, that right there. And you have Black people being the ones who are saying, look at them in the in the lobster and steak and I work hard. You don't need to be mad at the people who get lobster and steak and don't have to go to work. You need to figure out how do I get a part of that? Because that's what I be trying to figure out. None of us need to be working. Yeah, I would rather work all, when I feel like it and still get paid regardless. Well, there's there's a global component of it. I really do think work is a scam because shit is free. So I mean, the general, thing is, people would work even if they were not forced to. Most and, people do want to work. It's about being what, forced to work. I think there's a difference between work and labor. You see what Come I'm on saying? Now. Labor is human ingenuity. It's created, it's creativity, it's passion. It's like, I love singing. I love art. I love chopping wood. That is what we were designed to do. Work is this shit that lets Jeff Bezos ass go into space, fake space, not right. even he real space. He wasn't even really in space. He, he wasn't in even real space. So that's what I'm saying. Like, and once you know what you're owed, that's what I'm saying. Like, I no longer critique black people who have figured out how to like, like scam the system, run game, Joanne the scammer. I'm here for that because yeah, I lie got... on my resume. I have a fake degree on my resume. I'm about to get another one. <laughs> okay, I feel and like if I you to... and if you listen to this, you better Wait. not say nothing. <laughs> you to say, do I need to edit that part? No, you don't need to edit it out. No, you definitely don't. But here's the thing, too, right? So much of what has built society that we live in is based off of white lies. It's all it's all made Trump, up. For whatever he did that was horrible, and he did a lot of horrible shit. He was there's a though. one component of this that I respect about it. He bust out all he every lie of whiteness, he was like, This is a lie. Because yeah. we've been taught the reason why more black people, more brown people, more indigenous people haven't risen to power. It's because they're not great. This, this He came along and he exposed the whole lie. You don't have to be great anywhere to be leader of the free yeah. world. So I that mean, we knew that before Trump, though. I mean, let's talk about George W. Bush, who was basically completely <laughs> illiterate. Like, I forgot George about Bush. him. 
The thing is, I was like in middle school when George Bush was president. And I was like, Wait, were you one of the kids he was reading to? When he- <laughs> child, no, I could read it. I could read at like three. So I probably started reading before George Bush. No, I'm talking about you remember when he was reading to the kids when he found out about 9 11. And I was just like, Screaming. He was in Florida. You know, I was oh, no, he wasn't him. reading to me, honey. He wouldn't have been reading. <laughs> I would have been reading to him if he would have been at my school. Um, but like George Bush, like was lit. I was a middle schooler being like, this man can't read. Now, how do me, I, a young 12 something <laughs> year old, 12, maybe 13 year old, 9 11 happened when I was in seventh grade. So it would have been in like sixth grade when we figured out this man can't read, where he's doing his state of the unions and he like stumbling over words. He, he made some egregious errors, okay? <laughs> egregious errors so here we are as black people trying to maintain a line of respectability when on the opposite side of us my men get to be mediocre and they've been mediocre for a long time so then why why do you continue to move the machine of excellence and respectability politics when the reality is you don't have to be great to get good things. What are you saying? Black capitalism will save us, Kina. I The reason why you need to be respectable is because <laughs> the answer to Black Americans' problems is Black capitalism. And if black we are respectable money. and we get the Black bag, then we can pull all Black people out of poverty because we all know that trickle-down economics especially in the black community works like we've all got a check from jay-z and beyonce since they became millionaires you didn't get your check they sent us all each two hundred and fifty thousand (laughs) dollars well thank you for this podcast and for giving us the answer for black liberation like clearly i mean i don't know like maybe you need to have dinner with jay-z because he would tell you you didn't get your check in the mail that trickled down. Since he became a billionaire, he helped all Black people. Oh, my gosh. Did Beyonce sell that diamond that she was wearing? And I'm know, sure and I'm she's a, holding look, on to it. Look, I am a B fan. I know you are. Right. I'd be sad to hear I, I it. Stand, I stand. I know. I'd be like, but, ugh. But I can see the fullness. That, and, and part of that is, like. Yeah, so what do you fan the, about it? I'm like, nobody is taking away that she's a talented artist. I think Beyonce I was just about to say, like, best, don't make me out, out. Oh, don't no, me- I would never. But I'm just saying, like, other than that, like, I saw something you posted recently and you said something about it made you feel like the Beyonce of something. I was like, I would never compare you. You're much better than Beyonce. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I don't much. think much of her because I also think she's illiterate. But definitely edit that out because I don't want the beehive to come for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but now I want to keep it in. <laughs> I'm like, no, that hoe can't read. But, but we all know it. <laughs> and then it was also sad when that diamond thing happened and Mama Tina was like, don't be mad at her that she doesn't know about blood diamonds. <laughs> nah, she never even watched the movie. Like, <laughs> Tina was like, don't y'all be mad at her. Why I y'all had, expect her Beyonce to know about blood diamonds? I had no idea that this was a diamond mine with blood. Child, that girl can't read, child. Oh, take away my membership, Beehive. 
Listen, please edit this out. I do not need nobody. Listen, people are always exposing me for my Beyonce not fandom. I think she is the most talented Black pop artist out there. Nobody is better than her. Her personhood, though, is questionable. Okay. We None of us know her. I can only say, like, I, I see what her husband be doing. I see she don't be saying nothing. And so that's what I take. <laughs> she didn't know about blood diamonds she did it and tina said we can't be mad at her she said don't be mad at my baby she don't know and because her and jay-z are single-handedly saving the black community with their bills and they don't have time and even though they were in africa and have been there they still didn't manage to find out about the situation i mean Okay, it's let's a Tiffany move diamond. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you should I assume where Tiffany get their diamonds from. You should assume whenever a billionaire white man asks you anything, you should ask questions just off top, just like, "Sir, where did you get this piece of pie?" Like, I just like you should always just ask questions. Most okay. of the company's <laughs> mines come from in South Africa, Nambia, Botswana, and then Russia and Canada. But Southern Africa is where they get most of their diamonds. Not surprised that the Beers family owns the mines in South Africa, a lot of wow. them. So wow. that's an easy Google. I just want to, <laughs> Beyonce don't know how to use Google. Please cut Wait, this all out. All this has to get cut out. <laughs> okay, so kind of like to land us here. Yeah. And I think this was so much more. I knew this was going to be amazing, but it was even more than I could have dreamed. So when we talk about, in some ways, it's like the response to respectability politics is both an appreciation of twerking culture, but also an understanding of why we need queer politics. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like this is important for the Black community to think about, right? Um, And I also want to name the violence, like the... The, the chronic heteronormativity, the chronic transphobia, the chronic uh, just queer hate that is rampant in our community. And really, what does it mean for us to say, not only should we value queer people, queer bodies, trans folks and these, but we need to actually have an internal queer politics. Right. And that seems to be a response to the violence of respectability politics. So I want to land us there. Why yeah. do we need that? All of us need that. I'm so glad you brought up queer politics because there's like, right, there's queer identity and then there's like queer politics. And so like when we talk about queer identity, sometimes we think about like LGBTQ, people who are queer, such as myself, I identify as queer. Some of the other labels don't feel quite right for me, but queer feels right for me. Um, but the thing about queer politics is it is not just the fact that I'm like dating someone who's the quote unquote same sex as me or that like I believe that people shouldn't have to work to be alive or I believe that like basic needs should be provided by the state right it's not that a queer politic is subversive right it's it's something that is anti-status quo of oppression right so like we talk about queer politics 
as it relates to respectability politics and like more twerk culture, let's think about some of the things that come out of that. Like I'm a huge Cardi B fan. She's not perfect. And that's something I really like about Cardi B. Like Cardi B's not perfect. Cardi B is a former sex worker. I have so much respect for sex workers. Those people sometimes put themselves in a wild amount of danger and women of color like Cardi B, Black women, not like Cardi B, it's not Black, um, but Black women and women of color experience violence at much higher rates than other people in those uh, industries. And I think that people who have had to struggle to survive in such a dangerous way, because also when we think about patriarchy, which is the system that created kind of this very toxic, a toxic avenue of sex work. Every avenue of sex work is not bad, okay? But patriarchy created a very dangerous space for sex workers where sex workers can't report crimes because if they get assaulted, they're going to go to jail for soliciting sex work, right? There's 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 no space inside of there. Like when we talk about like respectability as it relates to like when we see like when we see twerkers in the mainstream, when I saw Cardi B talking to Bernie Sanders, I'm sorry, like those kind of symbols, like that's something I never thought I would see in my life. Those kind of crossovers, like it makes you think about who do you think has the capability of being a leader? And I'll never forget, I interviewed this disability justice uh, advocate. I can't remember, their name is Lydia, but they talked to me about how all isms are all ableism, right? Because they all have like decided the capacity of some other group. And like when you see somebody like Cardi B, a former sex worker, former stripper, working, talking to Bernie Sanders during an election doing whatever she can to try to like get people to vote and like make a change in the world that's that means something to so many people sex workers are people that we can listen to like it validates the level of humanity who has been invalidated since their existence and I think that that is so beautiful I think that it also pushes back on the patriarchy so hard on like women's modesty and non-men's modesty. And it really shines a light on patriarchy's violence because like women like sex, men are the only people who like sex. But guess what? Guess who gets in trouble for liking sex? Hey, I have to tell you this conspiracy theory I have. Oh. The scarlet letter, Hester oh. Prince. It Hester Prince. Uh, she ain't deserved that. Hester, she was she was fucking with a pastor. Listen, now they say she was a rich and that's why they burned her at the stake. I think Hester's real sin was that Hester was orgasming and the Ooh. people <laughs> and the other, the women in town were like, when they sleep with their husband and their husband's like, why aren't you doing that thing that Hester was doing? <laughs> well, we know when men was calling women's witches, they was definitely just trying to keep their tea quiet. Imagine you tell your nigga, you tell your sneaky link, listen, I ain't trying to do this no more. And he start hollering, witch, witch. That's what was happening. That's a meme I saw on the internet, by the way. But like, 
That's oh, what was happening. Lord, I tweeted that we added a whole different sub story. Hester Prince, she didn't deserve that. And like respectability, the church, very briefly, pastors, eyes emojis, minister of music, worship directors. I'm sorry, what would the church even be without gay and queer people? And I'm the, speaking yes. about the black church specifically the, because that's sure, my experience. For sure. What, what would you be? Yep. What would you be without queer people? Like, I think about like how so many people start off in church, right? Like how the the black church was used to be such like a community like staple for black folks. Like we was organizing at churches, meeting up at churches before we went to marches. And now black people barely want to go to church. I mean, our millennials, zennials, none of us ain't really fucking with church like that. Well, and I mean, because it's been co-opted, right? Where's the Black liberation component? And I also wanted to speak to two things. Like, I wanted to uplift, like, a local, well, not local to me, but local to Louisiana. Someone like Big Frida, I think, is a good example of, like... Mm -hmm that the multifaceted nature, I remember when I first saw their show on Fuse and I just Mm. was fascinated because I thought about like, here is this person who's existing in multiple spheres, right? Mm. And still showing up as authentic as possible. And so I just wanted to add like, whenever Black people get to be their full selves and we see the fullness of Blackness coming from queer, like, like people who are naming themselves in queer community, it is a reminder of the fullness, right? Mm. I think, where would we be without a Bernard Rustin either? Where would we be without a just uh, Josephine, oh Baker. gosh, Baker? Josephine Baker. Yeah. So being someone who sees from the margin is a place of truth telling. Um, and that's more than just queer identity, but- right. When respectability politics comes in a room, it says you have to model what's being centered in society. And so what a queer politic does is pulls us back to the margin and says, this is the only place you can see truth Mm. and speak from it. If you're trying to speak truth from the center, you you did already effed up. That's a word. You know, I... That brought up a lot for me. It made me think about one one thing I always say about like when I see things happen and it's like something about like, I think particularly about like my abolition politic and how often I feel like I met with situations that challenge my abolition politic. I'm not sure how to respond, right? Like, be, like when stuff like R. Kelly comes up, like it's hard for me to know how to respond. Like I, it's hard for me to know how to respond like outside of a, a carceral response and one thing I always say is if they'll do it to them then they'll do it to me right and that's like what I always think of like so like there's all these people and I I would say like mostly it's like people who think they're white but there's people who exist outside of white identities who also have this of like if it doesn't happen to me, it's not real. That's just happening to them over there. Like, I think the difference between like people like that and like people who actually are like saying this thing you're saying, the only place you can speak truth from is the margins, right? Are the people who are like, if it happens to them, then it could happen to me, right? And I think one thing about whiteness, and there's a really great uh, article, if you ever get a chance to read it, it's called The 10 Tenets of White Supremacy. Highly recommend. Um, if you've ever heard of Didi Delgado, they teach uh, dismantling racism 
racism course and this is always included but one of the tenets of white supremacy is like white exceptionalism and so like white people are always trying to separate themselves from oh I'm not that person and even when they come into anti-racism and like black liberation journeys they separate themselves from collective ownership, which is what I would call what Black people are completely unable to separate ourselves from, right? There's like no way for us to separate ourselves. We from don't. Them. We vote for each other. I watch crappy TV for <laughs> the culture. So we don't. We don't know how to work. And when we do try to work independent of community, that's where shit falls apart. Exactly. Right. And so like, I always think if they'll do it to them, they'll do it to me. Like, and so that's where I advocate from, like, and I haven't really found any situations where I don't at where I advocate for the most marginalized and it doesn't work out in my favor. And I don't benefit in some way. And like, so I always say like, when the least of us are taken care of, we're all taken care of. When the least of us is taken care of, what could we have to worry about? It's the opposite of trickle down. It's right. fly up. <laughs> because literally, like, it's just like, but but what would they have to worry about? Like, it's just really like, you just think like, if, if Black disabled trans women who are unable to work have every single thing they need and even room for some things that they want what could my black trans agender able-bodied college educated ass want what could i possibly want if those people are taken care of and that causes me to pull out my proverbial church fan our work here is done Mm. i love everything about this episode i mean i don't even (laughs) like i don't even i feel like we talked about all the things even the things we didn't talk about you know like it was all the things and i want people to continue to support and learn from you so if people listen to this episode and they were and if Again, y'all are not going to be able to see my facial expressions, but I spent a lot of this episode with my hands on both cheeks like, what is happening here? But in a good way, not in the way when I see Joe Biden on the news. So if other people need to have the moment with you that I'm having to learn from you, to glean from your wisdom, uh, I mean, outside of just listening to your music, like how do they connect with you? Yes, so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Nandi K-A-Y-Y-Y. You can find me on Facebook. I'm Nandi K-A-Y-Y-Y. You can find me at my website, Nandi K-A-Y-Y-Y.com. I'm on Spotify with Nandi K and the They Agenda. I'm on SoundCloud as Nandi K and also Nandi K and the They Agenda. And if you're in tech and interested in any of the products and DEI product work that I do, you can follow me on Twitter at Nandi Karen. Oh, Nandi underscore Karen. My bad. This was a literation. Okay, I don't sound like you sound. You ain't tell people about your TikTok. You be saying. Oh, oh, I don't TikTok, you know, TikTok is for the young people. And so I try I know, to let it I'm be for just, that. But I do but be singing karaoke be, on TikTok. No, 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 no. You know, I said you be singing on TikTok. Wow. Singing. I definitely don't consider myself a singer with an A. I can I definitely consider myself a singer 
a singer. No, you made a cover. I don't know what it's called. I don't know if it's called a, a split screen. I don't know. A all duet. You made a duet. I was like, look at my friend. I'd be loving to do the duets. It's like karaoke. I love karaoke. So TikTok is like my personal karaoke <laughs> app. We didn't add that to the list of Black things that people have in common, how Black folks can know how to sing. A lot of Black people do know how to sing. You know, again, I feel slighted <laughs> with my singing ability. I see the Clark family. Um, I've known some people who are also related to them who are phenomenal singers. And I say, Lord, I see what you've done for others. That what's that Clark sister joint? Oh gosh! Now we can't end the podcast until I tell it to you. It's it's an old one. I know a lot of Clark sister songs. Oh my gosh! Oh 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 oh! Is it you brought the sunshine? Is it I'm looking for a miracle? Is it, it might be you brought the sun? Because it's like you brought you brought the sunshine. Okay, yeah, and then it's like. I don't know. See, I got it. You got listen. Wait, this is now a- I gotta go on my YouTube. Hold up. I know. You probably should it's not. not I'm looking for a miracle. Uh-uh. You gave me nothing to lose. That's oh. it. Yes. Yes. Nothing to lose. The wrong. Oh, they be singing. The Clarks be singing, like. But the, at the end, for like seven minutes, nothing, yeah, nothing, 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 yeah, nothing, I'm, nothing. I've had heard hey, that in so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah, is yeah, pretty yeah, early. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, child, I forgot about this fucking. Um, yeah, that one go hard, and then yeah. the piano. Listen, them hoes be singing. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I don't even know how to end this shit. Thank you for being amazing and being so full and being so present y'all at the time of this recording i'm not sure which part of this conversation y'all going to hear or not (laughs) hopefully a bunch of it is uh, cut out Uh, if you're in the beehive just know i love beyonce very much there's nobody better than her and that's the final word i have to say on it Thanks for listening to the Please Say Black podcast, and I am so excited to be your host, Joaquina Reed. I hope today's episode really connected to you in a deep way, and I want to encourage you to check out the episode notes. You can find out more information about me, how you can support our podcast, and of course, find out more information about our dope guests. Lastly, make sure you follow us over at Instagram at Please Say Black. I want to leave you with this blessing from our tremendous ancestor, Malcolm X, that says, I pray that God bless you in everything you do. I pray that you will grow intellectually so that you can understand the problems of the world and where you fit into it, into that world picture. And I pray that all the fear that has ever been in your heart will be taken out. So stay black, stay black, and be blessed. If you don't mind, I would like to get a little rest now. Catch y'all next time.